Well, it's a pleasure to have Brother John and his beautiful bride Janet here with us this morning. Glad to finally have you guys here. Even though you have to go back, Janet, we're, we're excited and looking forward to your being here with us uh, full time. And I know John is as well. And uh, excited to have them here. Folks, we're starting a, a new direction. And yet, some things never change. If you've got the Word of God, that's where we're going. That's never going to change, folks. I do have to tell you, though, I, I owed my friend an apology. I was talking with my pastor friend the other day. He asked me, based on what I shared with you last week, he said, uh, hey, did you kill your Facebook page? And I told him, I said, you know what? It was kind of an intriguing thing. I think I got more action on that Facebook page with last week's message about the wrath of God than I had seen on anything in the past year. And he said, well, what do you think that means? And I said, I think that means that there is a hunger and a yearning among God's people to hear the truth, even if it is a truth that might be a little bit painful. Well, we're still going to stay in Romans, all right? But we're going to move on. The wrath of God is real, and because the wrath of God is real, we need to talk about the next thing. And the next thing is man's problem and God's response. And if you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to take it and turn to the third chapter of Romans. We're going to look together at a few verses there. You know, I, I, I'm just going to tell you, I have a strong conviction as a pastor, but even more than that, I have a strong conviction as a Christian that we ought to be proclaiming the truth of God's salvation, and we should not be bashful or shy about evangelism. Now, I'm going to do something this morning. I, I, I threatened to do this the other day, but I'm, I'm going to because I have to know something. And I'm just going to ask you to be completely honest with me, okay? Can y'all be completely honest? Listen, I'm not threatening God's wrath on you or anything. I'm just, I just want to know if you'll be completely honest with me so that I can do a kind of a little informal survey here, all right? So I'm going to ask you a question. If you know the answer, I want you to raise your hand. If you don't know the answer, keep your hand in. It's okay. There, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing either way. I just, I just need to know about you. So here's my question. How many of you know what the Great Commission is? Did you show me your hand? Okay. That's what I needed to know. I was reading an article the other day that said over 50% of people who attend churches say they do not know what the Great Commission is. Now, folks, if you don't know what the Great Commission is, let me just refresh your brain for a minute. Matthew chapter 28 our Lord has concluded his ministry. He's been crucified, buried, resurrected, has been moving among the people for a number of weeks, and now it's time for him to make his exit from this world. And we're told that Jesus came to his disciples, and he said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then he gave them this marvelous promise. I will be with you always. To the very end of the age. You find the condensed version in Mark chapter 16. Verse 15. Where Jesus said go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Luke tells us about that moment before the ascension when Jesus stood there before his disciples and he told them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. 
I think this is a pretty clear mandate for the church. We have a calling. We have a commission. We have a job to do. But still, the world wants to say, no, not really. And the church says, well, you know, we don't want to pressure people. We, we don't want to offend people. We don't want to tell people something that they don't want to hear. Well, folks, can I just tell you something? If we are telling the world something they do not need to hear or want to hear, it's okay because the reality is they do need to hear it. Life is short. Eternity is long. Hell and heaven are both real. But for those who do not know Christ, hell is the only reality they will know in eternity. So folks, we've got to get down to the business of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I know a lot of people say, well, we know that. You're, you're, you're preaching to the choir. Of course I'm preaching to the choir. If I don't preach to the choir, who would I preach to? And the reality is the choir's not singing the right song or they're not singing it loud enough or they're not singing it on tune or they're not singing it with the frequency that needs to be sung. If they were, the choir would be a whole lot bigger than it is. So we're going to nail this thing down this morning. If you've got your Bible open, I want you to just see some of what Paul says. Well, listen, we're just hitting highlights through Romans. If I preached my way through this entire book, we'd be here for about three years on this thing, okay? So I'm just kind of hitting some highlights, but I want you to look with me in Romans chapter 3, and we're going to read one very, very familiar verse, and then some verses that maybe you're not so familiar with. But nonetheless, we need to see what they have to say, and we need to understand the context of what Paul is communicating to the church in Rome, because it still communicates to us today. So if you've got your Bible open to Romans chapter 3, find, find verse 23. Once you've found that, if you can, will, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word. Paul is writing to the believers in Rome. He says to them, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Through faith in his blood, he did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask you this morning to bless the reading of your word. And I, I pray that as we spend these moments together, you would open our eyes, help us to hear, to see, to understand the truth. Father, we live in a world filled with skeptics, scoffers, naysayers. I pray that you would help us to understand that the word of God is always true. And anyone who denies it is a liar. Father, speak your truth into our hearts and our lives. Challenge us, call us, convict us, change us. That we might be a people whose lives and service bring glory and honor to our risen Lord, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Paul was a man on a mission. 
I, listen, if you've been with me on Wednesday nights, you know that over the last year, a little over a year, we've been working our way through the book of Acts on Wednesday evening in the adult Bible study. And in order to do that, you get to read an awful lot about Paul's life, and you have to go back and read a lot of Paul's letters. You have to kind of tie all of it together. And so in the process of doing that, you come to a very clear understanding. Paul was a man who was changed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And he wanted everyone to experience what he had experienced. He wanted everyone to know new life the way that he knew a new life. And he set out to do that. In order to do that, he had to understand. And it's the same thing that we have to understand. We have to understand the situation. And I think that that situation is very clearly outlined in the verses that we just read. And so if you've got your Bible open there, I challenge you, just keep it open. We're going to look at this thing, and we're just going to talk about some things that are very real, very pertinent, and very accurate today. And we have to start with man's problem. And man's problem is sin. There, listen, we, we can talk about all the other things you want to talk about. And I know that people say, well, my problem is, my problem is, my problem. Your problem is sin. That's the reality for us. God's word says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I, listen, none of us want to talk about this. None of us want to get into this topic about sin. Sin is a word that the world would like to, to remove from the dictionary. We'd like to say that it's not real. We'd like to avoid talking about it. We'd like to, to, to say it doesn't happen. It, this has been the story of mankind since the fall. We've tried to ignore sin. We've tried to say sin isn't real. We've tried to make sin go away. We've tried to, we just finally reached a place in our culture where we said, you know what? Let's just say there is no sin. There is no absolute right or wrong. There is no absolute authority. Let's just practice moral relativity. You determine what's right or wrong for you. You determine what you think you can do and get away with and what you shouldn't do. And, and, and the world's kind of said, okay. We just kind of sat back and watched it happen. But I want to tell you something. It doesn't matter what you think is right or wrong. God has already determined within his word which is right and that which is wrong. He has already given us direction on how we ought to live and that which we ought to avoid at all costs. And it's a common problem. And listen, we can't sit here inside the church house and say, well, those people out there, you people, if y'all just get it together. No, it's all of us. We're part of a problem, folks. God's word says that all have sinned. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. All of us in this room, we are all sinners. We don't have the right or the authority to determine what is right or wrong. We, we just know this. Once we come to a place of understanding where sinners, we want the shackles off. We want to be set free from it. A lot of people think that they will be set free if they just fail to acknowledge that sin is real. If, if I say it doesn't exist, I'm okay. Wrong. You can say it doesn't exist all you want to. You're still in chains of sin. Why is that? Well, you can deny it. You can, you can call it okay. You can say it's right. You can say it's good. You can legislate sin and say, okay, now everything's good. We're, we're, we're abiding by the law. But I want you to understand what sin does. Sin changes the outcomes in your life. Sin takes you to places you really never intended to go. And it causes damage not only to you, but to those around you. 
And there are a lot of good people who say, well, you know, I, I didn't do anything to deserve what's happening in my life right now. And you may be correct, you may be right, but do you know what? Our sin doesn't just come back on us. Our sin affects people all around us. And sometimes good people suffer the consequences of the sins of other people whose lives intersect with theirs at various points and times. Oh, sin brings grief, sorrow, suffering, depression, death, all of these things. The list could go on and on, but they all come about from sin. Deny it. You know, I was visiting with somebody the other day, and he said to me, you know, my greatest regret in life. And he told me what it was. And I thought, okay. That makes sense. I I would regret that too. But he didn't stop. He kept listing things. And I thought to myself, this guy doesn't have a greatest regret in life. He's got a greatest regrets list for his life. And he went on for about 20 minutes telling me about things he had done that he regretted. People that he had impacted. Relationships that he had broken. Homes that he had impacted in negative ways. And I thought to myself, see, that's what sin does. It leaves us filled with regrets over the choices we've made, the way it has affected us and impacted the lives of others around us. I I was watching the news the other night. I don't know if any of y'all ever watched the news. I kind of get tired of it and turn it off after a little bit. But they were talking about another, another child who had been murdered by an adult. Folks, we've got a real problem in this country of not understanding the value of human life. I just want you to know that. But if we don't value children in the womb, we're not going to value children outside the womb either. But as I watched that news clip, it just, it it struck me. You know, everything that I'm seeing on this newscast, every crime that's been committed in this city and in this county and in this state and across this nation, every crime that's being committed is the result of sin. It's people not able to live with one another. It's people not able to follow rules. It's people not able to submit to authority, whether it's the law or whether it's God himself. As I sat there, it just kind of ran through my head. There's not any remedy for this sin problem except Jesus Christ. There's not. We can build all the prisons and put all the counselors in there and all the job trainers in there. We want. We can do our best to rehabilitate people, but I'm just going to tell you, until the heart of a person is changed, nothing is changed. I'm not saying don't try to do good. I'm just saying understand what the greatest good is. And that's the changing of a heart that is done by Jesus Christ. Peter stood before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. And he looked at all of those men who were so much more educated than himself, so much more learned than he was, so much more important and powerful than what he was. And he simply said to them, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name given under heaven among men by which you must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. We got a problem, folks. And I just want to tell you something. I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. Well, I'm not entering into a debate, and I'm not trying to say something that's going to ring your bell or anything else. I just want you to hear what I'm about to say to you. We have a problem. Not talking to Houston, talking to Wichita. 
talking to believers, Southern Baptist Church, we have a problem. Our problem is not Washington, D.C. Our problem is not Topeka. Our problem is not downtown in the county government buildings. Our problem is right here in this room. It's inside of us. It is our hearts. You see, we are men and women, and I pray that many of us, most of us, the majority of us are men and women of God, but it does not change the fact that even men and women of God are sinners. We simply have experienced forgiveness and new birth, and hopefully we're living a life that reflects that, but I know that we have to understand man's problem is sin. If we don't understand that that's the problem, we're never going to get to the answer. Man's problem is sin. But I am so thankful this morning I can stand here before you and tell you this. It is not God's intention to leave us there. You see, God has a plan. And his plan is redemption. It's easy. Verse 24, if you read it, he he says, he's talking about those who have fallen, those who have been in sin. He says they're justified freely by his grace, God's grace, through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Redemption. To buy us back. This is what God's all, that, that was God's plan all along. And I know that the world says, well, I'm just not sure that I believe all this. I'm sorry if you don't. Here's where faith kicks in, and this is something the Spirit of God has to do in your heart, in your mind, and in your life, this faith thing. But I want to tell you the truth. God's plan to redeem mankind was revealed all the way back in Genesis at the Garden of Eden. When the first sin was committed... And whenever it was found out and God was there with man and woman, with Adam and Eve, and with that crafty, wily old serpent, and God pronounced his curses upon them, but here's what he said to the woman. He said, your offspring will bruise his head, talking to the serpent. And he said to the serpent, not your offspring, he said, you will bruise his heel. That was the first promise that there was going to be someone who was going to overpower the serpent. Satan. The Redeemer was coming. Now we could say fast forward, but I don't know how far forward it is actually. The oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. And my friends, I want you to understand something. If you read the book of Job, you find Job sitting in an ash pit. (laughs) He's lost Virtually everything that we would consider to be of value or importance or worth in his life. And and as he sits there in those ashes, he speaks of his Redeemer. He says, I know. I know. I don't think. I'm not contemplating about it. No, I know that my Redeemer lives. Isaiah, the prophet. Six centuries before Jesus prophesied about redemption without money. See, whenever they talk about redemption in the Old Testament concept, they were talking about buying people back out of slavery. Those who had been put into slavery because of debts they could not pay or because of of actions that had put them in that place. But someone could come along and, and buy them back out. They could redeem them. Well, mankind is in bondage to sin. We are slaves. And Isaiah, hearing from God, speaks about this. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 3, he says, This is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing. Isn't that the truth? Man, sin gets sin get you for nothing. 
But once it's got you, it's got you. Man, I mean, it digs its claws in and it holds on. He says, you were sold for nothing. And without money, you will be redeemed. Peter tells us late in the New Testament, it happened. What Isaiah said would happen, without money, you'll be redeemed. It happened. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life handed down to you by your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish and without spot. Wow. And I want you to know something about our amazing God. He loves you so much that he put this plan in motion before the first day of creation ever occurred. He knew what was going to happen. He's sovereign. He, he's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He knew the choices that Adam and Eve were going to make. He knew the path that mankind was going to travel down. And he made a plan. He put in place a plan to redeem mankind. And listen, the crucifixion of Christ, his burial and his resurrection, none of that was an afterthought to God. None of that was an attack on in Psalm 22, long before Jesus ever walked on this earth, David describes the crucifixion of the Messiah. He gives graphic detail about what was going to happen, how it was going to happen, and that it did happen. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it, we find Jesus described as the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world, from the foundation, from the beginning. You see, this was God's plan. Because he knew the only way to redeem man was through a cruci crucified, risen Savior. And he can do it. I want you to understand something very, very clearly this morning, all right? I am excited that you guys are here. But you can't save anybody, all right? I I'm excited that everybody in this section is here. But you can't save anybody. I can go through every section in this place and I can look at each one of you personally and I can say, I'm so excited you're here. I'm glad you came to worship. I hope that God speaks to your heart. But I want you to understand something. Even if you are in a great place with the Lord, if you are worshiping and celebrating His presence in your life today and everything that you have going on in your life is good and positive and upbeat and there's not any hidden sin in your life and you and God are like best buds today, you still can't save anybody. This church can't save anybody this pastor can't save anybody the southern baptist convention can't save anybody there's not a church building you can go to in this community or across this country where they can save people you know why because there's only one savior his name is jesus that's it the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says this about Jesus, that he is able to completely save those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He is always there ready to speak to the Father and say, this one's mine. If this is God's plan and we're his people, how can we neglect to share this with other folks? When we look around us and we see people who are struggling and dying, God has given so much for us. He has paid such a tremendous price, His own Son, for our redemption. We ought to be willing to do our part, shouldn't we? You know, I get to the end of this passage of Scripture, and it just amazes me. If you've got your Bible open, I want you to look at it. When you get to verse 26, 
It tells us about what God did. He did it to demonstrate his justice. So as to be just, he has to judge sin. And the one who justifies, he wants to forgive those who receive his gift. Those who have faith in Jesus. Now, folks, here, here it is. Are, are you ready? I mean, if you, if you haven't got it, get it right here. In Jesus. Not about Jesus. Not near Jesus. Not in proximity with Jesus. In Jesus. How do you get there? You answer him. What's man's problem? Sin. What's God's plan? Redemption. This Jesus that Paul talks about here, he's pleading. He's pleading. Come. I've had all kinds of people tell me over the last several years that I just don't understand theology properly. If I did, I would stop giving invitations at every service. Folks, it's just not going to happen, so quit holding your breath, okay? And the reason is simple, because I believe that my Savior was an inviting Savior. And I believe that throughout the Word of God, we find Him constantly calling people, Come, come follow, come, come, come know me, come, come receive the blessing. I mean, you listen to Him in, in, in Matthew chapter 11, and I, I've always been drawn to this. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Man, what do you want more than rest? Some of y'all needed more rest before you got here this morning. He offers it. Jesus has been inviting and pleading people with people all along. Throughout his earthly ministry, you find him inviting. He called his disciples, come, follow me. He invited others along the way to leave behind those things that drew them away from him, to come and seek after the kingdom. He continually invited sinners to come to him and be saved. It's not... I'm not making this up. It's in the Word of God. Read it for yourself. Most of you all know the story of Zacchaeus. He was a rich, lost little man who was up a tree with no hope until Jesus called him down. There was a religious man who, who was powerful and had position. His name was Nicodemus. He came to Jesus asking some questions at night. And Jesus told him, come in faith and be born again. There was a woman in a well. Multiple marriages. Life was a train wreck. The reality is most of us read that story and say, man, I can relate to that chick. We could have been brother and sister. And Jesus looked at her and said, just ask me for what only I can give you. Invitation, invitation, invitation. In John 6, 37 Jesus said it this way, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And I will never turn them away. He's still pleading. He's still inviting. He's still calling. He does it whenever the gospel is presented. 
He does it whenever someone is told about Jesus and about his saving power and how he can give new life and how he can bring hope and fulfillment and satisfaction in life. He still turns hearts inside out. He still makes people new. He still changes things. The question is, how long will he have to wait on the people that he said were salt and light to open their mouths and do their part and share that gospel so that all can hear and know that Jesus Christ is Lord? Every now and again, I'll preach on evangelism. And folks, I'm just going to tell you, I I know that some of y'all probably think, you know, you're kind of a one-note preacher. And maybe I am. And I get a little bit excited about evangelism because I love to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's not happening, something is wrong. We need to be sharing Jesus at every opportunity. And I, I get excited about that. I get excited when I see people doing it. I get excited whenever I see our church folks sharing the gospel and, and telling people how they can have a new life in Jesus Christ. That, to me, is almost more exciting than doing it myself because that means that, you know what, people are getting it. I had somebody look at me one time and say, Preacher, I think you're crazy. Okay. Happy to be. Uh, By the way, if you're crazy about evangelism, you're the best kind of crazy in the world. And if you doubt that, I'm going to prove you wrong right now. Are you ready? No, you would be. If you've got your Bible, I want you to look. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have your Bible, hang on, and I'm going to show it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. I think I'm in pretty good company if I'm crazy about evangelism. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And in verse 13 he says, If we are out of our mind... It is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, do you get that in Christ? Not around Christ, not near Christ, not in proximity to Christ. No, in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I am crazy. I'm out of my mind for the gospel. And my friend, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you ought to be a little bit crazy with me. 
And we ought to be turning this, this town a little bit, well, they ought to be a little anxious because of all these crazy people running around for believers. But crazy means this. We believe that Jesus saves. And we want everyone to hear and everyone to know that there is a Savior. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. He is Messiah. He is God's anointed. He is the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He is. And I know Him. Today, I can tell you without reservation, without hesitation, I am in Christ. Are you? If you are, you ought to be rejoicing in that. And you ought to be telling that. If you're not, today you can be in Christ. Today, he brought you here, not by accident, but because he wanted to speak to you. And if he's got your attention now, and you know you need to do something, I want to tell you something. In the moment we stand and we begin to sing, I want to invite you. Come, take me by the hand. I will not embarrass you. I will not put you on the spot. But I'd love to share with you how today you can be in Christ. You can become a child of the king yourself. Maybe you say, I'm in Christ. I'm good preacher. Okay. And how about your family members? How about your neighbors? How about your coworkers? How about that kid down the street that annoys you so bad you want to run over him every time you see his bicycle in the road? <laughs> Is he in Christ? What are you going to do about it? Maybe you're here, you're looking for a place to worship and serve. You're looking for, listen, I'm going to tell you something. You can ask the folks around you after church is over. I'm not going, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. I'm just going to tell you what the Word of God says. If you're not comfortable with that, this probably isn't the church where you need to be. If that's what you're looking for and you feel like God's leading you here, I want to invite you to come be a part of this congregation. Together, together, we're going to be crazy for Jesus. I hope you'll join me. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful, so thankful that you have provided for us a Redeemer. You've done for us through Jesus Christ what we could never have done for ourselves. And we thank you for it. Father, in this room, I'm convinced that there are those who do not know you. And I pray that this morning your Holy Spirit is convicting and drawing them. That today they would be willing to call out to you and surrender their hearts, surrender their lives today to be in Jesus. Father, I know that there are a lot of your people here, your children. Many of them are in a right relationship with you and they need to be rejoicing in that and they need to be sharing their faith. And then there are those who have fallen away. Life has happened and things have gotten messed up and things have gotten off track and they're trying to figure out how to get back. I pray today, Father, that they would just call out to you. That they would confess whatever has gone wrong, that they would surrender it to you and allow you to take control once more of every area and every aspect of their lives. Father, we need to be a people who are fully surrendered and usable for you. I pray today, Father, that you would take these next few moments, speak to hearts, draw people to yourself. And Father, don't let me, don't let this church, don't let a name 
get in the way of people doing and being what you want them to be this morning. Father, have your way in our lives. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.